The Long and Lonely Road by Jenny Brass. Sunlight dappled through the trees, casting dancing shadows on the cracked asphalt. The only change that ever occurred here, weather. Sometimes I'd lay beneath the stars and gaze into the heavens, watching them look down upon me, wondering if they ever saw me in their unblinking gaze. By morning, I'd have to shake my fur from the collected dew. I liked it when the golden rays poured down, reaching through the grove. It was a lovely reminder of this place before it had changed, before the road ate up the landscape like some ravenous beast. My tail hung behind me. What did I know? I was just a dog. Resting my head in my paws, I soaked up the warmth as it reached through the branches. Just a short nap. After all, I had nothing better to do with my time. The rattle of an engine disturbed my nap. I flicked an ear. Probably just some car passing through. That happened on occasion. Though this stretch of the road was remote enough, the disturbance was rare. Hardly worth rising for. The engine purred to a stop. A door opened and shut. Wait a moment. What was this? I opened my eyes and lifted my head to the sound of footsteps. A girl in a jean jacket walked directly toward my place in the tall grass. Emmy! A voice from the car called out. What are you doing? She looked back over her shoulder, golden hair shining in the sun. There's a dog over here, in the grass beneath the oak. Looks like a stray. I need to make sure it isn't hurt. I cocked my head. She looked right at me, worry in her eyes. Oh, what a sweet thing. You look like you've had a rough time. When's the last time you've eaten? Honestly, I could not remember. I tensed a bit as I realized she was determined to come closer. No, no. Back away. My lips curled up into a snarl. Emmy remained where she was, hand out, a soft smile on her face. It's okay. I won't hurt you. Oh, but I will. Please don't come any closer. I tried to crawl backward. The base of an oak tree swallowing an old field stone wall blocked my retreat. I cursed my ill luck. You poor thing, you look so terrified. Come now, I can take you to the vet. They can fix you up. No one could fix me. Once more, I willed her to go, but she edged closer. From the car, her friend cupped a hand. Come on, Emmy. This curve isn't a good place to park. Remember last year when Jack and Susie parked here? Emmy scoffed. That wasn't their fault. The drunk driver hit his car while they were making out. Still, who cares? Jack never made it out of the hospital. I shuddered as Emmy reached out, her hand inches from my side, fingers stirring my long black guard hairs. The tingling of my skin carried to my toes. I darted down as flat as I could. Easy there, fella. You're hardly even skin and bones. Here. She took her jean jacket off and wrapped it around me. I groaned as she picked me up. Let's get you some help. No, put me down. You don't know what you are doing. 
Emmy held me close. I felt the rhythm of her heartbeat. Steady. Strong. I closed my eyes and rested my head against her shoulder. Oh, God. Help me. Her friend's voice trembled for a moment. Emmy? Why are you holding your jacket? She slowed her steps, coming to a pause and gazing down. I opened my eyes and met hers. I am so sorry. You should never have seen me. Crack! An immense renting of the oak tree's trunk spun her on her heel. But it was too late. The reaches of the mighty limbs were too vast to escape. The falling sentinel that had been but a sapling when I had been but a pup crashed over her. Emmy! The scream echoed through the glade. I laid over Emmy's exposed wrist, feeling the life ebbing from her pulse. My eyes gazed up at the old sign now exposed from the fallen tree's cover. Old Saybrook Cemetery. Right beside the field stone that once held this gate lay a flat stone, the marker of the first grave here. My grave, which bound me to this land for eternity, even when my calling had ceased and they had paved over the old burial ground. I raised my muzzle to the sky and cried out for another soul claimed by the curse of the black dog. I was a grim with no church, for that building had long since returned to the earth. I never would. I wish I knew why some, like that boy, Jack, like Emmy, saw me. They had not been the first. They would not be the last. If I had my desire, I would stand my timeless watch unseen. The fates are not that kind in this timeless journey. So I stand watch. The sun dappled in the glade as the sirens blared. Footsteps creeping along the hall at midnight. Uh -huh. Floating from downstairs after twilight. Big note. Spectres moaning from the attic in reply. Everyone has a spooky story, something they don't discuss. But life is a haunted oratory when you're like us. So sit tight, turn on the light, then curl up with some ghoulish history. Something a little dark and dreary. Serve with a heaping dose of eerie. Raise those Moscow mules and clink them. Whoopsies. Ghost. Hi, I'm Jamie Marky. <laughs> oh, that's your line. Go ahead. And this is Ghoul Intentions. <laughs> uh, Michael's tired I'm today. So I am tired as well, tired. but not as tired as Michael, and I appreciate that oh, about you. Michael. I had a, an 8:30 a.m. session, and I did not go to bed until four. 
why um in the morning I, so I, i'm a night owl and you know have and, you met you before <laughs> because why would you ever put yourself tend, in 8 30 uh, because you know i tend I, i'm nobody i ignore myself um yeah and my say needs no. just i just kind of go no. no well no i just i thought you know what it'll be a quick session i'll get it over and done with and i'll just pop back into bed and and finish my sleep i'll have second sleep Life. and uh didn't work out that way i just laid back down it's and like was breakfast. like weird i'm not tired uh and <laughs> you know so it's like my body's doing that fucking awful trick where it's like hey you're really tired but you're not sleepy good luck Mm-hmm. Have fun with that. I'm not. It is at very all. much so it, today a Monday, and Mercury's in retrograde. So it's like the universe is just saying, <laughs> "Hey, you can go right on and fuck yourself." And we're just like, "Oh, did you That's want that to work? Like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're sorry. Did you want that mechanical thing to to operate the way it's supposed to? No, computer says no." <laughs> it's not gonna I, happen. And it's so. You were gonna I, tell me a funny story before we started, mm, and then we were like, "Save it for the podcast." It's not so much a story; it was an observation. But my mind yeah. right now, for those of you that grew up with answering machines, um, mm. not voicemail, but answering machines, like before you could just save your contacts into a phone, uh, people would call your voicemail or your, excuse me, your your uh, answering machine. And you would listen to it when you got home. And usually that person, you know, if it was a business or someone that you know, didn't necessarily think you had their number, they'd be like, um, hi, this is Jamie. Call me back at, you know, 555-621-1234. And that there's a certain and there's a kind of universally observed rhythm for how you're supposed to leave a number, mm-hmm. <laughs> the audio file. And my brain is like my brain all day because I'm so tired. Uh, is like one of those people that would call and get the rhythm wrong so that I'm like, I, I can't process what that number is anymore. So I'm like, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, go ahead and just call me back at 55-512-33618. Uh, <laughs> like, the fuck did you just say? That's, yeah. you're not, that's not the rhythm. It's like going A, B, C, D, E, F. G H I J K L M N. You know, it's can't do it. It's very clear. It's a one two three, one two three, one two three four. Yeah. Right. Or at least, at least here in the states, Oklahoma, it is. I don't know. We didn't have different um, our area codes. It was all the same one. So it was just one two three, one two three four. And we always we knew we all had the same area code. I think it's still mostly right. the same area code. It wasn't until I moved to Tech or actually Chicago first. Uh, that yeah, I was like, people use different area codes. Area Gosh, codes. there's a lot of people What's here. What's this area code? Do <laughs> I dial like nine Tulsa. to get out? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, my brain feels like that today. I woke up this morning yeah. and I was like, oh, cool. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to do my session. And it was a kind of intense session. Like it, uh, a lot of fighty, fighty stuff. Yeah, right. And big reactions. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to sleep so well mm. when I go back to bed. I didn't sleep well at all. So when mm. I get out of here, I'm going to have a little nap and then fuck my sleep schedule up even worse. <laughs> Sounds like a good time. It's going to be great. But you know, I it's appropriate. Five. The lack of sleep is appropriate for my story this week. But we'll get into oh, that. That's Don't great. worry. Uh, my, uh, mine is, I woke up at five. Mm-hmm. When I went back to sleep, I guess around so you, or so, you, you got up an hour after I went to up. bed. Got it. Yeah, yeah, that was <laughs> was not fun. Uh, but we're here. We're recording. We had a rough we're weekend, so we pushed it a little bit. We so did. thank you for your patience. We did. Mental um, uh, mental health uh, certainly comes at a premium these days. Have you noticed? It sure does. 
It sure does. Mm, uh, I know we're not alone in that. support and understanding, yes. Thank you, you know. We hope you are maintaining um, as well as possible under the circumstances. Uh, thank you to Jenny Brass for sending in those uh, Grimm stories. Yeah. The, 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 the church Grimm's and then also Grimm. So we appreciate those. The Grimm Love Grimm stories. Grimm. Love it. Yeah, the Grimm Grimm stories. Um, <laughs> so we read one of those. So thank you so much for that, Jenny. And then today's title uh, is, we're episode 111, believe it or not. And uh-huh. the title is, All the Horrors That Hell Could Wish. <laughs> All the horrors. All the horrors. The horror. The horrors. Horror. That hell could wish. That's a. As opposed to the horrors. All the horrors. All the horrors hell could wish. That's a different horrors episode. That hell could wish. Horrors. 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 Oh, the horror. Horrible Florida oranges. <laughs> Um, it's just a little, a little horrible Florida oranges. Murray, Murray, where's the elevator key? I can't access the elevator unless you give me the key. Sorry, every time you do that voice, it makes me think of that couple in Miami. It's like, Murray, what? Yeah. That was, it's a trick for standard uh, American English accent. Horrible Florida Oranges Florida. should all sound, uh, but whenever I say it, it does end up going like horrible Florida oranges. Horrible Florida oranges. Ah, yeah. I don't even know what that yeah. accent so. is anymore. It's somewhere between like New Hampshire and hell. Oh, they well, share. I'll a, be talking about they, they share a little a bit of that. Speaking <laughs> of hell, but you are going first this week. I am. Um, so my I'm topic, I, I wanted yours. to, yeah, I guess we were talking and you really don't know the story. And, um, <laughs> and I, I was familiar with it. I didn't, I'd never done as deep a dive before, but I was very proud of myself. I did some digging and I found some great resources on the topic. And whereas it may sound like I'm just recounting an old, uh, urban legend, it's not, it's actually true. There is no actually to this. Um, um spoilers. There's no actually. Spoilers. It's true as fuck. So my topic for today <laughs> is uh, the true story behind A Nightmare on Elm Street, which... Okay, full disclosure. Uh-huh. I've never seen A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, that, that doesn't surprise me, because you don't really care for <laughs> horror movies. I mean, not really. And not this is, slasher. And this is, yeah, like and this is, a, this is as slashy as they come. I mean, every finger right. is a blade, so... <laughs> You know, I um, like a slashy true story. Like, so if you give if you give me what like what's the new the documentary on Netflix that I was oh, like oh, oh my uh, god it's so good right right uh, uh, Night Stalker oh, uh, yeah, that Night, one Night Stalker. totally oh, down so, for that uh, well you know I just I need a slasher film with heart uh, <laughs> <laughs> it does have heart I didn't expect on, it it got on, me yeah on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> in a right. jar. Right, well, that's different. That's different. <laughs> no, the Night But Stalker, that documentary is really night, good if you haven't up. seen it. Did you know? We talked about it. Did you we know? We talked about it. Did you know, Jamie, that I was uh, good friends in high school with uh, someone who, as a child, lived next door to one of the victims. And one of, yes. um, one of apparently, so I'm told, one of uh, Richard Ramirez's MOs was he would choose houses that were yellow or white. That was like the, mm-hmm. the, the more... Um, that was just something. He'd be like, that's the house. Well, they had a house that was the same color as their neighbors. 
and it was like them. it could have been them and they heard they heard like the 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 screaming and they're the ones that called the police and like my friend uh, i believe her name was cassie it's been years and years and years she was a little girl and she lived there it was right before they moved to texas where she went to high school and where i met her and i was like what so that was my I first am brush with 95 percent uh, sure that you talked about it on our last podcast. I'm pretty sure we talked about <laughs> we might the, the Night Stalker and that. Oh my that. god! If you I'm have not, sure if you have not seen the Night Stalker documentary, I cannot recommend it highly enough. Uh, also, yes. the I'll Be Gone in the Dark documentary on mm. HBO Now, mm-hmm. which is fucking amazing. I'm all into true crime documentaries right now. True crime and cooking shows. Yeah. <laughs> right. We just started uh, Ozark. Ah. And here's the thing about Ozark. I've been kind of avoiding it. I don't know, not like actively avoiding it, but it's just been like meh. Is it just um, like is it just like Mountain Breaking Bad? Uh, it's like if Breaking Bad and like Shit's Creek had a kid. <laughs> That's kind of, but uh, people have like they swear, but oh, it's so fucking good. It's so good. It's so good. And I was like, I don't know if I want to watch it. And it's really fucking good. And I'm mad about it. Like, I'm a little mad about it. <laughs> like, now I have <laughs> like an obligation. It God When damn I'm it. like, I don't want to watch that. And then I do. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't listen to people <laughs> tell me stuff. I'm like, I'll watch it eventually. I also have to get to stuff so late. Like, I, I want to, I don't think I consciously wait until much, 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 mm-hmm. like, way down the road. But I do. And I'll be like, oh, shit. Like, I only got around to watching The Sopranos, like, five years ago. For the first time. Yeah, I'd never seen that. an episode. And it's really great. And I wish I'd watched it earlier. I didn't find Breaking Bad. I'm just excited Bad. you're watching just... Letterkenny now. Oh, I love Letterkenny. Letterkenny yeah. is my jam. And again, I have such a fucking crush on the main dude. Oh, my fucking God. Like, he yeah. just. Wine. He does it. Wine. He, he does it for me. <laughs> he just does it for me. I just, everything. How are you everything. Yeah. Uh, how are I you now? It. I love it. How are you now? How are you now? Uh, you're doing a podcast you? with your best friend the other day. Um <laughs> 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 anyway, so my so, sources okay, so today. So you're going to do your story. We're going to do my story. Um, I tried to find like a really fun uh, like play on Nightmare Before Christmas, but I couldn't, so I didn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we're just calling it the true story behind Nightmare on Elm Street, and you'll fucking you know love, love it, people. Is that your spirit is very reflective of most of our spirits right now, and I like that. I think it's real and it's genuine. I hold. I appreciate a, it. I hold a mirror up to life. Uh, okay. So my sources, and there are quite a few actually, my sources are of course Wikipedia, uh, an online rag called Vulture, uh, the History Channel's website, Bedtime Stories, a YouTuber I refer to a lot because I love their shit, mm. uh, mm-hmm. an article in Screen Rant, and uh, the LA Times uh, archive. So let's get into it. Now, being a sensitive child, prone to bad dreams, my parents wisely forbade me from watching A Nightmare on Elm Street when it was released in 1984. Alas... That didn't stop my older brother and his friends from regaling me with all the gory details. <laughs> they yeah, loved 1984 it. 1984 they... was the year of all of the best movies of the 80s. It was a crazy, crazy pop was... culture landmark year. It really was. It uh, really was. <laughs> so I had, you know, my brother was about 10 years older than me. Like, say, like, between, like, 8 and 10 years. I, I don't know exactly a thing. But so he was a teenager and able to drive and go out and watch whatever movie he fucking wanted. And he would come home and be like, oh, do you, do you, think, this, do you think this would be scary? And he would tell me and I would have... Fucking nightmares, but I loved it. Yeah. But I would, I got so keyed up by their descriptions of Freddy Krueger carving a bloody swatch through the frenzied dreamscapes of Springwood that when I finally got around to watching the movie myself later, um, it was kind of underwhelming. 
I mean, it's a bona fide yeah. classic of the slasher genre, to be sure. So don't at me. Right. Um, and there's no argument that the blade-wielding, scene-chewing Kruger is played to perfection by Robert England. But Wes Craven's magnum opus just couldn't hold a candle to the harried imagination of an eight-year-old boy with a, an asshole teenage brother. Yeah. <laughs> so... So the the Nightmare on Elm Street films, for all that they were a pop culture juggernaut, kind of lived at the periphery of my very goth teen tastes when I was a teenager. Um, I mean, I was an indie kid, so I was more drawn to like the slow burn body horror of David Cronenberg or like that kitschy Technicolor bloodbath of Hammer Studios. Mm. Those were my tastes. Heathers. And... Right, right. <laughs> Heathers. That's not a horror movie. That was a fucking documentary. Um, <laughs> I was like, Heather's on my that's I get it. Um, no. Now, you're damaged. Until I learned sometime later that the inspiration for old Freddie Kay came to Wes Craven, not in a dream, as would be entirely appropriate, but from a newspaper article in the LA Times. And I say not in a dream, but that's not entirely accurate, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Reams of grindhouse schlock came preface with a boilerplate advisory based on a true story back in the day. In fact, a lot of them still do. That marketing gimmick goes uh, as far back at least as the legendary sleaze merchants of the 60s, but it wouldn't surprise me if uh, promoters were drawing from life, quote-unquote, in the uh, Grand Guignol days in France. For those of you who don't know what the Grand Guignol was, that was like basically the theater equivalent of slasher films. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, it was, it was a whole like, it theater... It sounds like some sort of like... Granola dish? I don't know. That's a... no, no. It uh, no, no. It no. If you've eaten <laughs> different gran- dish, if you've eaten granola entirely. before going to sit down to a grand granola production, chances are you're not going to keep it down. Um, ah. But I'll, I shall have to do a, a, a podcast. One of my subjects will have to be the Grand Grenoble Theater. It was just a movement in France uh, in the sort of the Victorian era. Where they were just mm-hmm. like, let's do bloody, fucking crazy, a violent, movie. violent, violent, violent theater, and um, and it. You know, it was kind of, it was horror movies before horror movies, before movies were even a thing. Now, but back to the, the whole Nightmare on Elm Street being based on a supposed true story. Before you cry foul, hear me out. I'm not talking about the no! now. Sorry. <laughs> I said not. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> I was talking to our listeners. Oh, yeah. they're all yelling. If you're foul. crying foul, I can't fucking hear no! you. So knock yourself down. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I'm not I'm not talking about the now roundly debunked claim that Freddy Krueger was based on an actual serial killer of the same name said to have run amok in late 19th century Oklahoma in a town called Lightning Creek. That rumor what? started I know that rumor. Right. Well, that rumor started as most questionable things do on social media. Facebook user uh, Michael Ferris posted the razor-thin story on his profile page back in July of 2017, complete with tales of child murder, a factory fire, and the photo of a headstone for someone named Frederick Krueger. Scores of likes and shares ensued, uh, but in point of fact, Ferris was just rehashing a post from October of that same year made by somebody named Lemur Foster, who later admitted to making the whole goddamn thing up for a Halloween prank. Ha ha, isn't social media droll? No, I'm... Smart to to put it in Oklahoma, though, because initially I'm like, likely? It's likely. (laughs) I mean, you're not It wrong. all sounds reasonable. <laughs> but uh, to the extent that Freddy Krueger was based on real life at all, Craven drew from memories of a vicious childhood bully who not only inspired the hamburger face, claw glove, dream-invading serial killer, but also the much more terrifying 
uh, and down-to-earth character named Krug from his last house on the left. Craven also recalled waking up one night as a kid to see the face of some horrible old man looking at him through the window. So I'm sure he's like, there, I'm going to use that. Um, (laughs) Use it all. No, so the based on a true story angle I'm talking about today is from a newspaper article published in 1981 that scared Wes Craven half to death. Now, with classics like Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes behind him, Craven, an Ohio native, was spinning his wheels restlessly searching for material and, of course, capital for his next project, whatever that may be. As he would later recount in an oral history of the Nightmare franchise published by Vulture magazine, Craven stumbled upon an article in the LA Times about a family of Cambodian refugees whose son had died mysteriously in his sleep after complaining of vivid nightmares. According to the boy's parents, he'd been plagued for weeks to the point where sleep would only come from sheer uh, sheer exhaustion. Boy, that that tracks. Um, The poor poor child... (laughs) Uh, or the poor young man, rather, would die in the midst of one such nightmare, thrashing and screaming as his parents watched helpless, unable to wake him. Uh, Craven says, quote, and I'm going to do a lot of quoting in this (laughs) story. "Um, I read an article in the LA Times about a family who had escaped the killing fields in Cambodia and managed to uh, get to the U.S. Things were fine, and then suddenly the young son was having very disturbing nightmares. He told his parents he was afraid that if he slept, the thing chasing him would get him, so he tried to stay awake for days at a time. When he finally fell asleep. His parents thought his crisis was over. Then they heard screams in the middle of the night. By the time they got to him, he was dead. He died in the middle of a nightmare. Here was a youngster having a vision of a horror that everyone older was denying. That became the central line of Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so sad. Well, while this may sound like an urban legend, the tragedy Craven described wasn't, it turns out, an isolated incident. In the 80s, and this is true, Dozens of refugees from uh, Southeast Asia succumbed to an unknown malady that came to them in the small hours of the night. The afflicted belonged to a specific ethnic group, the Humong, H-M-O-N-G, and hovered between the ages of 20 and 30. In fact, so targeted were the deaths that public health officials got nervous, really nervous. Sufferers uh, most often hailed from Laos, a small landlocked country in Southeast Asia. The Humong were persecuted by their own government after being recruited by the CIA to fight North Vietnamese soldiers in the Vietnam War. More than uh, 30,000 Hmong soldiers helped the U.S. fight communism in the Northern Highlands, but died at a rate 10 times higher than their American uh, counterparts. When the Vietnam War ended in 1975, Laos became a communist country. New management branded the Hmong traitors and ran them to earth. Survivors fled to Thailand or the U.S. It was a forced migration under the most trying of conditions, says Dr. Uh, I'm going to fuck this up. Uh, uh, Kataraya Um, I hope. Um, associate professor, professor, God, I can't even say my own language. <laughs> Associate professor at UC Berkeley and author of Southeast Asian Migration, People on the Move in Search of Work, Refuge, and Belonging. It was a very long journey and a very treacherous journey. Resettlement didn't end their troubles, however. Not only did the vast majority of Humong refugees live far below the poverty line, the trauma of their experiences back home haunted them day and night, and in some cases, to death. LA Times staff writer Evan Maxwell detailed the phenomenon in an article published July 14, 1981, titled Mysterious Fatal Malady Striking Humong Men. And uh, here's the article, pretty much in its entirety. Um, The attacks were all unexpected, 
fatal, and utterly mysterious, the article begins. The 20 victims, all uh, uh, but one of whom were young, uh, apparently healthy men, were stricken in the middle of the night, and they died in agony. Autopsies by some of the best pathologists in the country have been unable to explain the cause of the seizures. What is even more vexing is that all of the victims were members of the Humong tribes, Southeast Asian refugees dispossessed of their Laotian mountain homeland because they backed the U.S. in an ill-fated war. About 35,000 of the Humong have come to the United States in the last five years. Many of them were mercenaries for the CIA during the Vietnam War. They have settled in Southern California, particularly Orange County, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Seattle, Portland, and in the highlands of Montana, among other places. In several of these places, the mysterious seizures are the leading killers of Humong adults, according to medical detectives who are studying the problem. That study, which involves local health officials and investigators from the Center of Disease Control in Atlanta, has not uncovered the cause of the attacks. We believe they are cardiac in nature, perhaps some kind of spasm or disturbance or electrical, uh, of the electrical mechanism of the heart, one doctor said. The first documented case apparently occurred in Orange County in 1977 when a healthy young man named uh, Lai Dua died in his sleep. Uh, Joanne Gill, then a county social worker, recalls the death because she knew Lai Dua so well. Quote, there was an autopsy which put down the cause of death as acute cardiac insufficiency. That's a fancy way of saying they didn't know exactly what killed him, she said. Other deaths followed during the next several years and throughout the country. Only in retrospect did authorities begin to pay attention. I first learned of the possibility last spring when I received a call from a reporter in Minneapolis asking whether we had any unexplained deaths among Humong men, said Dr. Tom Prendergast, Orange County epidemiologist. Before I even had a chance to check... Uh, I had another call from Portland asking the same question. This was when we began to suspect we had a problem. When Prendergast uh, and his colleagues found on uh, what Prendergast and his colleagues found on further study was a total of 20 clearly establishable cases, 19 men and one woman between 25 and 65 who went to bed seemingly well and died during the night. All were either found dead in the morning or were observed during the night to uh, be making some gurgling noises and in a collapsed state from which they could not be revived. The number is relatively limited even for a community of 7,000, the, the number of Humong refugees in Orange County. But it, it becomes more meaningful when you discover that there have been only 13 deaths among Humong adults in the country in that time, he said. In other words, it may be half of all deaths of Humongs, it may be that half of all deaths of Humongs have been caused by whatever this is. When Prendergast and federal wow. public health officials began exploring the phenomenon in the rest of the country, they found similarly alarming figures. The extent of the disease has spawned an intensive national study. One of the most, uh, one of the first concerns uh, was whether the deaths might involve a disease that could spread from the Humong to other groups. The investigators have been able to rule out that possibility. They say, this lack of success in explaining the attacks has given rise to widespread speculation about causes. The most widely circulated speculation revolves around the enormous stress or culture shock which the Humong people are presumed to be encountering in their efforts to adapt to life in the United States. But the medical investigators say that it is all but impossible to chart the effect of stress since it is so hard to measure. A second possible explanation for the attacks, that they are delayed reactions to gas attacks by the North Vietnamese, is widely held by the Humong themselves. Dr. Uh, Vu Dinh Mi, a U.S.-trained Vietnamese physician who has worked extensively with the Humong, said that the cause of death may still be in question, but it seems relatively clear now, quote, that the mechanism is cardiac.
This diagnosis is supported by the discovery of at least one survivor of an attack who was saved by emergency medical aid and hospitalization. The victim, a member of the Human community in Seattle, was uh, had become, in effect, a living laboratory for the study of the malady. When he arrived at the hospital, he was found to be uh, uh, in ventricular fibrillation. <laughs> uh, very, nicely, said, very nicely, very nicely said. Uh, Prendergast said the heart muscle was con con uh, was contracting without uh, affecting normal beats, just sort of quivering. With appropriate treatment, mm. the patient survived and went on over the next several weeks to develop the typical uh, electrocardiogram pattern of a person who had suffered a heart attack. But huh. Prendergast said when the man was examined surgically, he was found to have no sign of cardiac artery disease of the type we traditionally would expect with a heart attack. That suggests that the attacks may involve disturbances in heart rhythm, perhaps spasms, which appear and then quickly disappear without inflicting the kind of long-term damage that might be discovered at autopsy. It also suggests that victims of the attacks might be saved by emergency medical aid and cardiopulmonary resuscitation. So went the article that inspired Wes Craven to pen the first draft of what would become a crown jewel of 80s slasher horror. Now, in the real world, investigators could find no medical explanation for the deaths. Some armchair experts attributed the deaths to chemical nerve uh, gas among uh, Humong mercenaries, uh, the sort of thing they probably would have been exposed to during the war. But medical doctors disagreed. Nerve gas doesn't act this way. There's no evidence, says Dr. Larry V. Lumen, a county medical examiner in, LA, uh, in the LA Times article. Secondly, if it was nerve gas, why does it affect only males and why only during the night? Other Hmong believe yeah. they were being punished by the spirits of their ancestors for leaving their homeland. Their anxiety centered around the inability to do right by uh, one's ancestral spirits because you're not there or because you don't have the right uh, things to perform the right rituals, says Dr. Um. I don't think that for many of the Humong of that generation, he says the traditional explanation remained salient, if not more salient, if not more salient than explanations related to cardiovascular problems. The fatal ailment later classified as sudden unexplained nocturnal death syndrome, SUNS, <laughs> Whoa. Uh, has been investigated by the Center for Disease Control at length. However, the wave of sun's death among Southeast, Asian, uh, Southeast Asians, particularly the Humong group, is still unexplained. Dr. Um suggests the years of stress that the Humong endured could be a factor. Um, was that a reflection of what kind of stressors that uh, come with being forcibly removed from a familiar world to a completely alien and sometimes even hostile context, she asks? The threat of this mysterious death sentence uh, given to Humong refugees may be even more frightening than the fictional serial murder it, murderer it inspired. The wife of at least one victim openly insisted her husband had fallen prey to a vengeful spirit that had followed him from the other side of the world. Southeast, Southeast, I don't know why that's so hard for me to say, Southeast Asian culture possesses folklore rich with some of the most unique supernatural beings the world has to offer. Among them, the Dab So, a menacing, shape-shifting entity whose M.O. closely resembles sleep paralysis. Descriptions are as varied as the unfortunate souls upon whose chest she perches malignantly in the dead of night, robbing them of breath, suggesting the capacity to assume whatever form most horrifies a chosen victim. Though always manifestly female, the Dab So's appearance ranges from beautiful young maiden to withering gnarled hag. One survivor of the mysterious Humong plague, a refugee named Vang Zhong, who had res uh, resettled in Chicago after the Vietnam War, claimed the Dab So had visited him while he slept. Now, he survived, but it was a terrifying encounter. And it, when you hear about it, it sounds like normal sleep paralysis, uh, except that it did almost give him a heart attack. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, naturally, the scientific... Was it, and also, too, is it like the 
feeling of a heart attack that's causing like a dream types, you know what I mean? Like that's causing the nightmares, the panic. But we have to remember, too, that like how likely is it that that healthy, otherwise healthy, although maybe not mentally healthy, given their circumstances, otherwise physically healthy uh, young men in their 20s. Most of them were between the ages of 20 and 30. I think only one person was in their 60s. So that drove the average up. But like everyone else was between the ages of like 19 and, and uh, like 35. The odds of wow. them having a heart attack that young. Yeah. Um, and all at night, all it seems odd. Um, yeah. So, I mean, so the dab so among certain members that kind of remember the old ways were like, you know, uh, is this a thing? Like, is the dab so like um, naturally the scientific community searched elsewhere for an explanation but for all that sons seems mysterious it's important to understand the stresses the humong refugee community was up against at the time resettlement halfway around the world is hard enough without having to deal with the guilt of leaving behind friends and loved ones to perish at the hands of a vindictive communist regime add to that the cruel unbridled prejudice humong people were subjected to by americans who mistook them for vietnamese or korean nationals and you can be sure that life for them was hell on earth between the intolerable strain of daily life under such circumstances, the culture shock, the probable remnants of chemical warfare coursing through their blood, the drastic change of diet due to lack of fresh mountain produce, not to mention the drastic change in air quality, it's perhaps no wonder sleep paralysis could prove fatal, even among young, seemingly healthy members of that ethnic group. But it's also worth noting, a great many Humong shaman fell to the, fell to the, the Loatian communist purge back home. The people entrusted since time immemorial with keeping evil entities like the Dabso at bay were effectively extinct now, leaving vulnerable mm. those who believed in the old ways. Oh. And, they ne- and they've never figured out what caused figured it. Figured out what did it. They never knew. They were just like, it's a thing. We don't know. It's it, But it killed about 20 people of the same ethnic group. Um, here in the United States, and only here in the United States, as far as we know, there was there was no such death being reported anywhere else, like not in Thailand, nowhere else, um, that I could find. And that article was like crazy. So that was, <laughs> and so who knows? Who knows what these people yeah, were cool. seeing in their sleep? You know, and maybe there was something that was just scaring them to death. Now, I I tend to think that you know, having survived the killing fields of Cambodia, there had to have been just, I mean, PTSD something mm-hmm. fierce you know with these horror i mean their yeah. nightmare their nightmares must have been absolutely unthinkable and you know i think if you factor in with that um they're suddenly now eating very sugar rich foods like they're complete right. change of they're living in polluted cities um i mean these are these were mountain people that were used to fresh air and now they're right. living in polluted fucking cities eating eating a, an american diet and and they're right. you know having to labor under the stress of, you know, the memories of the killing fields and also being treated like shit by by everyone here in the States. Mm-hmm. And it's stressful. Very so stressful. it just could be that something as terrifying as sleep paralysis could give them a heart attack. I don't know. But it's yeah. odd. It's, well, and I mean, it it's makes odd you that the MO is so was... similar. I mean, all of yeah. them, you know, it's, you know, it it's also like, could there have been some sort of genetic thing happening in that generation that, Maybe. you know, died out with these, you know, the people that died? I don't know. It makes me think of that other. There's another movie in the 80s that came out, maybe Dreamers. I don't know. But it the, it always stuck with me because it was the idea that if you died in your sleep, you died in real life. And so they would oh, what was the try name? to. Um, Inception kind of dealt with, did a little bit of it. But this was in the 80s. Was that Brainwaves? Was it was it Natalie Maybe? Wood's last film? 
the the film that she was making remember. when she died. I think it was that. that um, yeah, I think I there was. I can't remember. This was this was kind of a this sort of thing made it into a lot of films in the eighties, and I suspect it's yeah. because of this phenomenon. It's because of this story. Um, but that one really, because I did watch that one with my parents, and that idea of that if you die in your dreams, then you die in real life. I think mm. I believed that was true for years. After that, I just thought, oh, I guess that's the way I, it some is. Some people still believe it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Uh. Yeah, Good so story. I mean, crazy to creepy. think that this like cheesy horror film. I mean, I look back on the, the Nightmare franchise now, and mm-hmm. it's it's so cheesy. It's fun. It's super fun, but I can't yeah. imagine anyone ever being scared by it. Um, I mean, because horror just doesn't age very well. It's like comedy; yeah. it just doesn't. Very very few horror films age well, and I don't think Elm Street has. Although I think it has a lot of camp value now. But right, knowing that it's based that it was inspired by. A bunch yeah. of people dying in their sleep, otherwise healthy people dying in their sleep, seemingly from nightmares that gave them heart attacks. It's kind of fucking terrifying. That so much it so is. they had a name for it. Wow. Oh, so oh, yeah, man. yeah. The more you know, the more you know. Yeah. Well, mm. you want to take a little break before Let's we get take a little break. I'm gonna refill All my right, coffee, be... and then uh, right yeah, we'll get back into it. Okay. We're here to talk about our Patreon. <laughs> Yay. So join it. Uh, help support us. We will really very much appreciate it. Matt very much appreciates it. Yes. Um, it helps us keep the the uh, the podcast going. So uh, our Patreon patrons have um, some benefits, and one of those is the Discord membership. We have a really good family going on there. Lots of D and D games. It's and so just cool. A good good time. Everyone uh, in the really Discord chat is just ah, oh, they're our favorites. They are. They're so great. So we have uh, two chats coming up on the 20th of February that will be for everyone on the Discord tier. Any of those Discord tiers that you see uh, will be able to uh, join for that on the 20th. And then the 27th, the Phantasm tier, that will be your uh, specific chat. Those, of course, will be at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, And I think that's it. That's it. Join us. So thank you so much. Uh, please check out Patreon and uh, give this podcast your support. Yes, please. What a great break. <laughs> <laughs> for the for you, the listener, it's barely any time has passed. Yeah, for us. To be fair, for us, it's not that much. I don't know. It was. Break. It took a it took quite an effort to get up out of my chair and then go grab a coke and then come back. And then come back. Uh-huh. Yeah, I didn't even. I didn't even go all the way downstairs. Uh, uh, um, okay. So, what ha- happened? <laughs> we have received, now in our P.O. box, we people have sent us several things. Um, we wanted to say thank you to everyone who sent us yeah. Christmas cards and gifts. We love them so much. I mean, even from Hawaii. That was so that's, cool. That's really awesome. Uh, so, we just really, really appreciate everybody who sent us cards and, and gifts and everything like that. Um, Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Mm-hmm. A million mm-hmm. times, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, it really cheered us up, and we needed it. So I yeah. can't even say how much we appreciate it. <laughs> uh, but previous to that, we received a gift. Uh, no letter, no nothing. I don't know where it came from. But we each got a book called Haunted Pittsburgh. Yeah. By Timothy Murray, Michelle Smith, and Hayden Thomas. So uh, it's about Pittsburgh, Haunted Pittsburgh. And... I was looking through there because we are actually going to get into Pittsburgh next week. Yeah. But I thought this would be a really nice starter <laughs> for that. <laughs> a little starter um, story. And that, 
Yeah, and and it's I'd never heard of it before, and it was a huge national disaster. So I was going to I'm going to talk about um the 1889 Johnstown flood. Okay. All right. Uh-huh. And I'm hoping I'm sa- it's not like Johnston even though there's a W Johnston. in it. Johnston. Um so you know how sometimes east coast things trend British in pronunciation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I'm going to say Johnstown cuz we live in in Texas. So well I do. <laughs> I live in Texas. You live in LA. You'd say Johnstown too. I would say yeah, I'm from Texas. I would say Johnstown. Johnstown. So uh, it's the 1889 Johnstown flood. My sources are the Haunted Pittsburgh book that I just talked about, um, the Johnstown Area Heritage Association, and our favorite, Wikipedia. Wikipedia. So, yeah. The, and, and Johnstown is not too far from Pittsburgh, so it's a really nice intro. Mm. The village of Johnstown was founded in 1800 by the Swiss immigrant Joseph Schantz which was then later, his last name was anglicized to Johns. Ah. Shantz. Shantz to Johns. I guess. That seems arbitrary. There's more than anglicization going on there. It just seems like, fuck it, It you're Johns now. I don't care. Your name's Johns. What's your name? Shantz. Sounds like Johns. We're going with Johns. Okay, Johns. So the town was located or is located, where the Stony Creek and Little Connemaw Rivers joined to form the Big Connemaw River, the main Connemaw River. It was basically built into a deep river valley on the Appalachian Plateau. Mm. The town began to prosper with the building of the Pennsylvania Main Main Line Canal in 1836 and the construction in the 1850s of the Pennsylvania Railroad and the Cambria Ironworks, which we know. By 1889, you had a bunch of Welsh and German immigrants moving in town to work. The population was about 30,000. So it was a growing industrial community known for the quality of its steel, which we know Pittsburgh is still oh, yeah. known for that. Oh, yeah. At least once a year, though, one or both of the rivers overflowed into the streets, sending the people of the town in a scurry to get to higher ground and protect what they could of their homes and belongings. Some of these floods were caused when heavy snows melted too quickly in the spring. And conveniently, some floods happened when a heavy rain fell over the area, which could be any time of the year. Mm-hmm. If you lived in the area, floods were just a part of life. You're in a valley. That's what's going to happen, right? Adding True. to the natural flooding, slag from the iron furnaces of the steel mills was dumped along the river to create more, la- more land for building. Now... In this portion, I was like, what's slag? And, uh, <laughs> Let's I look have, it up. I have a Jack with me, and he's from, uh, you know, Appalachia, and he was doing, he uh, knows coal, coal mills, coal mining and stuff like that. So we knew a little bit about it. This is steel, so it's a little bit different, but still in Appalachia. Um, what do they call it? <laughs> it's Pennsylvania. <laughs> Pennsylvania. So some, some parts of Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. Sounds like how it sounds like what I <laughs> what I used to use my ear for in high school. It's tuck my pencil yeah. back there. It's Pennsylvania. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so slag is produced during the separation of molten steel from impurities in steel making and steel making furnaces. The slag occurs as molten liquid melts and is a complex solution of silicates and oxides that solidifies upon cooling. So slag is the stuff they used as land. When they did that, they narrowed the riverbeds to make the most out of what they had. That left the city even more flood prone. The Kanama River is surrounded by steep mountainsides for about 10 miles. And this stretch of the valley 
is supposed to be the deepest river gorge in North America east of the Rockies. All right. So that's, that's a deep, that's, that's a, deep. That's a, that's a claim to fame. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On May 28, 1889, a low-pressure area formed over Nebraska and Kansas. And two days later, this weather pattern had reached western Pennsylvania. It developed into what would be termed the heaviest rainfall event that had ever been recorded in that part of the United States. It's estimated that 6 to 10 inches of rain fell in 24 hours over the region. Um, which for us, I guess, it's like, really? That doesn't seem like a lot. But, <laughs> <laughs> but just wait. When you're in a valley... It's a lot. Oh, yeah. Because uh, it all true. can only go one place. But then, <laughs> during the night, small creeks became roaring torrents, ripping out trees and debris. And, de- and debris. Trees and debris. <laughs> debris. Uh, debris. Debris. <laughs> debris. Uh, <laughs> telegraph, telegraph lines were downed and rail lines were washed away. The Connemaw River was rising fast. Mm. Oh, no. And then you oh, had Lake Connemaw. So this was a man-made lake that was created using the South Fork Dam, a 72-foot-high earthen dam that was not well-maintained, to say the least. Uh-oh. Lake Connemaw was the pleasure lake of the South Fork Fishing and Hunting Club, a very prestigious club. Ooh. And by prestigious, I mean they were. it was for the robber barons of the day oh, right. that so lived the, in that the, area. This right? super, super, Insanely wealthy. Like, crazy rich. Yeah, if they were still around, like... If the money was today what they had then, like the exchange, it would be in the multiple hundred billion dollar range, right? They were extraordinarily wealthy. And um, those people included like Andrew Carnegie or Uh. Carnegie, depending upon how you say it, (laughs) (laughs) and Henry Clay Frick. The lake was a little over two miles long, a little over a mile wide at its widest spot, and 60 feet uh, deep at the dam itself. So it was a, it was a good-sized lake. Mm, mm. The spillway for the dam had been blocked by a broken fish trap and the debris that had gathered thanks to the swollen lake. With the rain, the lake was rising an inch every 10 minutes. The dam was close Ooh. to failure. So on the morning of May 31st, a farmer saw it. He went to get help. They all got together. A group from the club got together and tried to save the dam. Uh, To their credit, they did everything they could in Mm. that moment, like the locals that were there. Um, Among the attempts were efforts to add height to the dam, then to dig a second spillway to relieve pressure, and finally to release the heavy screens that they put in the overflows so it keeps uh, the fish in the lake so the the fish won't go out the overflow, right? So they they pay to stock that lake full of fish. So they they released those screens and let their fishies go. That's (laughs) (laughs) what they did. Um, They sacrificed the lake fish. Yeah. By late afternoon... The water was already rising in Johnstown. In some places, it was 10 feet deep, trapping people on the upper floors of their homes. They were waiting it out, ready to be marooned for the evening, just like they had done before. Uh, and an engineer for the South Fork Club was on the site and went twice to nearby South Fork to send telegrams warning Johnstown that the dam was close to breaking. But the warnings weren't taken seriously because they'd had those warnings before. Keep in mind, the dam was 14 miles up the river of Johnstown. Up the river. This is going to be important in a little bit. (laughs) Sadly, no one even told the authorities about the danger. Oh, my God. 
Back at the dam, eventually the club officials and the laborers they recruited, as well as a good-sized audience from the little community of South Fork, just below the dam, retreated to higher ground because there was nothing more they could do. Around 3 3 p.m., Dexter liked it. Did you hear me? I did. (laughs) Stop barking. Okay. Sorry. So, wait, to get him to stop barking, you make a knocking noise? That's right. They know it's me. Uh, <laughs> um, so, they knew there was nothing else they could do. And they just had to watch oh, and wait because they knew the dam was going to break. And at 3 p.m., just to, some some things say like just before 3 p.m., 2.55, some say 3.10. So around 3, <laughs> they watched in dumbfounded horror as the dam, quote, just moved away. Oh, oh that's <sighs> horrifying. <laughs> A LIDAR analysis of the Kanama Lake Basin reveals that the lake contained 14.55 million cubic meters, which is 3.843 billion gallons of water. That's a lot. That's a lot of water. Uh-huh. That's... And that's what it was at the moment the dam collapsed. Oh, Jesus. Modern dam breach computer modeling reveals that it took approximately 65 minutes for most of the lake to empty after the dam began to fail. With the force of Niagara Falls, a 20 million ton wall of roiling water reaching heights of 75 feet at a width of half a mile across thundered downstream through the valley. Jesus Christ. The first town to be hit by the flood was South Fork. The town was on high ground, and most of the people escaped by running up the nearby hills when they saw the dam spill over. Also, a lot of people already knew about it because they were up at the dam. Mm. Some 20 or 30 houses were destroyed or washed away, and four people were killed. Continuing on its way downstream to Johnstown, the water picked up boulders like they were corks, Mm. snapped 75-foot-tall trees like twigs, crushed houses, and collected debris as it went. Trees, barns, animal, people, houses, everything in the houses. Then the flood hit the Kanama Viaduct, a 78-foot high railroad bridge. The debris slammed into the bridge's stone arch, which stopped the flow of the flood until seven minutes later when the viaduct collapsed as well. So now you have all that other debris Mm -hmm. and the bridge debris on top of that as the flood resumed its course. But thanks to that delay, the floodwaters had gained renewed hydraulic speed because of the pressure of stopping. And so it was it resulted in a stronger, more abrupt wave of water hitting places downstream than otherwise would have been expected. So it was just like, we're gonna stop, build up a lot of pressure and just explode forward again. Jesus Christ. Yeah. The small town of Mineral Point was the first populated place to be hit with this renewed terrifying force. It was a small town. About 39 families lived on the village's single street. Mineral Point was only one mile below the Kanama Viaduct. After the flood swept through, there were no structures, no topsoil, no subsoil. There was only bedrock left. Jesus. Yeah, the the death toll there was approximately 16 people. The village of East Kanama was next. One witness on high ground near the town described the water as almost obscured by debris, resembling a huge hill rolling over and over. 
In the town's rail yard, engineer John Hess was just hanging out in the train waiting for his next trip. He heard and also felt the rumbling of the approaching flood. This badass, instinct-trusting dude threw the train into reverse and raced backwards towards East Kanama, blowing his whistle nonstop as a warning. His actions saved a lot of folks because they heard it. They probably put, you know, two and two together that this raining a lot, there's going to be a flood. Um, And so a lot of people moved to higher ground because of that. When the flood hit, it picked up the fucking train and floated it aside. Oh, God. Hess Hess himself survived, but at least 50 people died, including about 25 passengers that were stranded in trains in the town. Before hitting the main part of Johnstown, the flood surge hit the Cambria Ironworks at the town of Woodvale, sweeping up railroad cars and miles of barbed wire, which became entangled in the debris. So this is when the story starts to get extreme. Like, it's already intense. This is a crazy flood. But then it's like... It's like extra. It's just it's like what? <laughs> this then is, it goes full on like Hollywood. It goes full on like it, this is Infinity a, yeah, Wars. This is yeah. Uh, uh, what is it? Um, Final Destination type shit. Like oh oh yeah. Oh god. Oh god. So you have miles of barbed wire entangled in the debris that's rolling at you in waves but like a mountain. Okay. <laughs> of Woodvale's 1,100 residents, 314 died in the flood. Boilers exploded when the flood hit the Gautier wireworks, causing a black smoke that was seen by the Johnstown residents. About an hour after the South Fork Dam collapsed, the flood hit Johnstown. This wall of water and debris bore down on the town at 40 miles per hour. Some people, realizing the danger, tried to escape by running towards high ground, but most were slowed down by the already surging flood water. Many people were crushed by pieces of debris, and others became caught in barbed wire and or drowned. Those who reached attics, roofs, or managed to stay afloat on pieces of floating debris waited hours for help to arrive. Jesus. At Johnstown, the Stone Bridge... Carried uh, that carried the Pennsylvania Railroad across the Connemaw River mm-hmm. uh, was a substantial arched structure, big stone bridge. The debris carried by the flood formed a temporary dam at the bridge, resulting in the flood surge rolling upstream. So it's now it's going upstream along the Stony Creek River. However, eventually gravity caused the surge upstream to come back down to the dammed up bridge, causing a second wave to hit the city, but this time from a different direction. Oh, Jesus. So, so you're caught in a flood. There's debris, barbed wire, dead things, Mikey, dead things. And then you get hit by a second wave, but you've survived. Then the debris at the bridge caught on fucking fire. That, okay, that's just like, yeah. 80 people that's died just, trapped that's just in an mean. inferno at the bridge, and the oh. fire kept burning there for three days. What? Yes. This is cr- how, crazy. How pissed off would you be if you died, <laughs> if you burned to death in a flood? In a flood. Yeah. yeah. I can't even. I don't Sounds even... about fucking right. You know people were like, of course. <laughs> 
<laughs> Some people were dying like, oh, sure, off, call, drive. Sure, why? sure. Of not course, surprised. yeah, why not? So shocking. Yeah, yeah. After, <laughs> after floodwaters receded, the pile of debris at the bridge was seen to cover 30 acres and reached 70 feet high. It took workers three months to remove the mass of debris, the delay owing in part to the huge quantity of steel barbed wire from the ironworks entangled with the wreckage. Dynamite was eventually used. The total death toll was calculated originally at 2,208 people, (sighs) making the disaster the largest loss of life, of civilian life in the United States at the time. This number of deaths was later surpassed by fatalities in the 1900 Galveston hurricane and the September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks. That's it. This is the third, I mean, pandemic excluded. Well, yeah. Because it wasn't all at once. But in one day, this is, it's pretty intense. According, it was 2,209, but they found out that a guy who they thought had died in the flood had survived it, and he lived in a nearby nearby town, so he just went home. Mm -hmm. And they thought he had died for a while until he was like, no, 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 I'm still alive. So then they knocked it down to 2,208, yeah. Uh, (laughs) According to records compiled by the Johnstown Area Heritage Association, bodies were found as far away as Cincinnati and as late as 1911. 99 entire families died in the flood, including 396 children, 124 women, and 198 men were widowed, 98 children were orphaned, and 198 men, sorry, I don't know what the widowed thing is, Uh, 98 children were orphaned, and one-third of the dead, 777 people, were never identified. Their remains were buried in the plot of the unknown in Grandview Cemetery in Westmont. On top of that, there were looters who cut off fingers for jewelry, amongst other yikes behavior. Some of those looters were caught and lynched. Then you have disease that hit afterwards. Oh, Just, God. There was so much death. I so can imagine. Much death. The, the cholera. Oh, the cholera that uh-huh. must have swept yeah. through there. Oh. Yeah. 1,600 homes were destroyed. I mean, you too, you don't have um, penicillin at the time. People maybe oh. got cut up. Mm-hmm. by uh, mm-hmm. the yeah. debris or hurt uh, or, you know, and didn't survive after. Oh. Uh, 1,600 homes were destroyed, $17 million in property damage levied, which is approximately $497 million in 2016. Oh. So lots of damage. Uh, four square miles of downtown Johnstown were completely destroyed. Relief workers poured in. At its peak, it's estimated there were 7,700 people helping in the aftermath of the disaster. One of the first outsiders to arrive was Clara Barton, nurse, founder, and president of the American Red Cross. This is one of their first big things. She arrived on June 5, 1889, to lead the group's first major disaster relief effort. She did not leave for more than five months. Donation for the relief effort came from all over the United States and overseas. Frank Shomo, the last known survivor of the 1889 flood, died March 20th, 1997 at the age of 108. Oh, God. In the years, <laughs> yeah, in the years following the disaster, some people blamed uh, the members of the South Fork Fishing and Hunting Club for their modifications to the dam and failure to maintain it properly so that it was unable to contain additional water of the unusually heavy rainfall. Of course, the members were wildly wealthy, so they weren't going to face any consequences. Mm -hmm. Uh, They got sued. It was, you know, thrown out. 
The hydraulic analysis published in 2016, though, confirms what had long been suspected, that the changes made to the dam by the South Fork Fishing and Hunting Club severely reduced the ability of the dam to withstand major storms. They lowered the dam by three feet and failed to replace the discharge pipes at the base of the dam, which cut the safe discharge capacity of the dam in half. This fatal lowering of the dam greatly reduced the capacity of the main spillway and virtually eliminated the action of an emergency spillway on the western abatement. So there, are, there was a secondary spillway, but because of what they had done, it, it wasn't usable. Ugh. The water didn't spill that way. Hmm. Most people hmm. at the time held the wealthy club folks responsible for the disaster, as is reflected in this poem by Isaac Reed, and hmm. that is where our title comes from. Mm. So here's the poem. Oh. Many thousand human lives, butchered husbands, slaughtered wives, mangled daughters, bleeding sons, hosts of martyred little ones, worse than Herod's awful crime, sent to heaven before their time. Lovers burnt and sweethearts drowned, darlings lost but never found. All the horrors that hell could wish, such was the price that paid for fish. Wow. <laughs> right. Jesus. And it's fucking true. Afterwards, the rich people just abandoned the uh, the their club and just forgot like, about it. We're going to go. Moved Bye. With their lives. Yeah. So Ugh. here are a few crazy true stories from the flood. Hmm. So fucking Henry Clay Frick, one of the richies who never faced any consequences, <laughs> continued Frick. to run the Carnegie Steel Company in Pittsburgh, but he seemed to be drawn to disasters. This motherfucker. He was at the center of the bloody Homestead Steel Strike in 1892, in which 10 men died. Frick was never held responsible for that disaster either. He survived an assassination attempt in July of 1892, and in 1912... He had a ticket to travel on the maiden voyage of the fucking Titanic, but Mrs. Frick sprained her ankle. And once again, this asshole was spared from the consequences of calamity. <sighs> right? Always the Why fucking that? way. Why? Always the fucking. fucking way. Yeah. But here's Jesus. a little bit better stuff. Okay, Anna Boyle lost a husband and seven of nine children to the raging waters. She herself survived by climbing atop a house and riding the crest of a wave for 17 miles. <laughs> wow. She would, live, yeah, she would live to mourn her family for another 47 years, long enough to see her son, Hugh, ordained as a bishop of the Diocese of Pittsburgh. Anna died in Johnstown at the age of 85 in 1936, not long after the second great Johnstown flood. Um, a young Welsh couple was living in Johnstown when the waters rolled through, and the house they were in was swept away by the raging water. There, on the roof of that drifting structure, their son was born. <laughs> they, <laughs> they named him Moses Flood Williams. <laughs> God, what a birth to live up to. Yeah. Yeah, right? 16-year-old Victor Heiser was in the family barn when he saw the flood crush and sweep away his parents' home with his parents in it. Victor clung to the roof of the barn and was taken on a wild ride atop floodwaters. As he passed a two-story brick house, he leapt for the roof and made it. Victor survived, but he lost his family, and there was nothing left for him in Johnstown. He moved away to college and eventually became a physician. 
This is cool. <laughs> Dr. Victor Heiser is credited with saving as many as two million lives. He Whoa. developed the first effective treatment against leprosy. Whoa. <laughs> right? I don't know. I love, like, Jesus. when people survive stuff and then do, like, crazy <laughs> And they cool go shit. on to be like, awesome. I'm so glad you made right. it. <laughs> I'm so glad you survived that, sir. <laughs> this party would have been <laughs> dead without you. I'm so glad you're here. Would have been, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Richard Paget, this was really sweet too. Richard Paget and his son Herbert were sitting down for supper when the raging torrent came calling. It picked up their house and whirled it away. The two men climbed to the roof, but Richard lost his grip and fell into the deluge. Herbert survived, <laughs> but the house collided with an obstruction, and the next thing he knew, he was waking up in a hospital in Altoona six weeks later. Herbert attempted in, fain, in vain to locate his father's body, but finally gave up and moved away. He got a job as an engineer and carried on as best he could. Fifteen years later, Herbert Paget was on a, the boardwalk in Atlantic City when he heard a carnival barker touting a thrilling and spectacular reproduction of the Johnstown Flood. <laughs> Herbert naturally, that's how I feel like it was probably said. <laughs> Herbert naturally was drawn to it, but the performance had to be stopped because of a disturbance in the audience. The recreation proved too much for one elderly patron. Guess who it was? <gasps> it was <No>. his dad. <laughs> yeah. oh. I know. So he saw him coming down the aisle and he was like, dad? So his father thought that he had been killed and was so distraught by the deaths that he moved back to Scotland for 15 years and had just come back. Wow. And they just happened to run into each other at this Holy event. Shit. Holy shit. Right? Holy shit. Also, the other benefit is over those 15 years, Richard had gone into business at, in Edinburgh and uh, Scotland and became super wealthy. So after the press found out, of course, it was a big deal. But they asked for privacy um, and would only say they were heading to St. Louis with a friend of Richard. I love oh, that story. That was a good that's one. That's so great. Um, a paranormal expert once was asked, what's the one most haunted place in Johnstown? He said, there is no one most haunted place in Johnstown. The entire town is bursting with paranormal activity because of the unspeakable tragedy. Mm. At the unknown plot at Grandview Cemetery, the final resting place for the unidentified victims of the flood, a ghost hunter led an investigation of spiritual activity. Her finds, a photo depicting a floating orb in motion, and an auto recording of a girl's voice that allegedly pleaded, save me. At the old stone bridge, some claim they've heard screams of the people trapped in the horrific aftermath of the, aftermath of the flood. A few years ago, Haunted Pittsburgh took a medium around Johnstown. She was overcome with an overwhelming sense of panic, not her own, and not just the panic of the poor souls who met death so unexpectedly on May 31st, 1889. She said that much of the panic that still hangs over the place emanates from the South Fork Fishing and Hunting Club. Like a broken record, it keeps replaying itself, hoping in vain for a different outcome and wishing it could undo something that never should have happened. Mm. Oh. And that is the story of the Johnstown Flood. Oh, that's so fucked up. And that's our, our introduction to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh! <laughs> oh my God, that's a great, so, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty uh, gruesome introduction. Yeah, yeah, Holy yeah, shit. it's intense. It's, this is a, it was... Every time I read something new, I was like, there's no fucking way. How does it get worse? The God. flood caught on fire? Uh, yeah, what? yeah. The fucking dying in a fire in a flood has got to be like the, like, yeah. just that's, 
that's a dumb death. I mean, like, I would feel mm-hmm. stupid if I died that way. But, like, this is just... Horrible. This is... The writer in me goes, this is too much. This is a shitty yeah, season this finale. Is this it's is... the 2020 yeah. of floods. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what that was. Oh, my God. Well, thank you for sharing that story with yeah, us. Yeah, you're welcome. I, I, I hope. I... I mean, I knew that this was a good one when I realized I was calling people just to tell them about it. Like, <laughs> Mom, I have to. T- have you heard of this Johnstown flood? John luke have you heard of this Johnstown flood? Yeah, I was. Yeah. Guys, guys. And then it was so hard not to tell you ahead of time. I was just uh, like, it's well, going to be horrible. You'll love it. That's <laughs> great. I'm here for the horrible. I'm here for the horrible. That's right. Uh, That's right. Thank you. But again, thank that's you, um, started in Haunted Pittsburgh. Thank you, whoever sent us the, those yeah, books. I wish whoever We're it was would tell be us. Using them. Yeah, we are. Um, <laughs> to see what's next. Uh, but um, I think that's it. Go goalintentions.com. Yeah. Of course, please submit your stories. We've had a slowdown yeah, of stories. I we think need from some the holidays s- and like the end yeah. of the world. But you know, we know <laughs> we need, you have them. We need some, some spooky in. stories. Spooky stories yeah. or, or fun, morbid ones. That's fine. We, we'll take anything fine, really too. at this point. Yeah. If you had a grandma that was in the Johnstown flood, if you live in Pittsburgh and have ghost stories from Pittsburgh, mm, uh, we would love yeah, those. Yeah, definitely. Um, but also if, if you just have ghost stories, those are our favorites. <laughs> we, it's what we, we really do. We love those. It's what we do. Um, yeah. And also um, we are both – so we have the Patreon and we love our supporters on the Patreon, but mm-hmm, we know some mm-hmm. people can't commit to a monthly – thing or you know yeah especially uh, now yeah yeah so we are also on a site um that several of us uh voice actors have started together to kind of support each other Mm -hmm. and um it's called the voice actor store (laughs) (laughs) and we each have kind of our own stores that sell different things depending upon you know characters or whatever a lot of prints you have a lot of prints with that you autograph and i have those as well and some like danganronpa masks Mm -hmm. and posters and stuff like that um but, you know, if you wanted to show your support to voice actors in a different way, those of us on there would very much appreciate the support there. We would. But also you can you can get something tangible in return for it. So Some great gift ideas for those of you looking really for, great uh, for, the, you know, to, for who has for a, Valentine's. You know, an anime fan in your life who, who you need a birthday gift for <laughs> or a Valentine's right. Day gift for. That's yeah. very true. So, so check that out again. Yeah. That's thevoiceactorstore.com. And then <laughs> send your stories to ghoulintentions.com. Uh, under submit stories in the menu. Yes. And I think that's it. Yeah, that's it. Please uh please don't die in a flood. Um Yeah. Or Be in your or, seek higher ground. Or in your sleep from a weird nightmare. Don't have a nightmare about dying in a flood and then die in real life because you died in your dream. Yeah, that would be I, don't have a dream about burning to death in a flood. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then die. Like, I did that, have a dream about a flood last night. And I was like, I've did got you wake to up? tell this story Did you and wake up go. and have to go to the bathroom? Yeah. But <laughs> so, then also... That's usually what I flood dreams like mean for me. Once you get to your mid-30s, when you wake up in the middle of the night, you just go... It's just a safe bet. It's like when you're on when you're when you're on a car a road trip. Mm-hmm. Whenever you stop, you need to go ahead and go to the bathroom. Same thing. Once yeah. you get in your mid thirties, plus yeah, yeah, you just it's best yeah. just to go I'm ahead. Just gonna, and go to the bathroom. You think you know <laughs> you think you know your bladder, but you don't. You mm-hmm. don't. It betrays you, don't. you. Also, I'm way more hydrated now than I've ever been. Like in my twenties, I was not this hydrated. I was not drinking this much water. Didn't give a shit about water when we were our twenties. We'd have time. I was too busy smoking no. and doing drugs. But now. Right. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I've I've had a lot to drink today. I should I should have water. <laughs> yeah, mine's just like I have I haven't had water, so I'm gonna have a 
hangover if I just don't have water. It has nothing to do with drinking alcohol, and it's bullshit, but that's the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, guys, so thank you so note, much for thanks everything. Thanks so much. We love you. <laughs> Right, now do the thing. Say the thing. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, uh, uh. uh oh, stay sane. <laughs> <laughs> stay sane. And remember. It's okay it's to sleep okay with, to the, sleep lights with the lights on. It's okay to sleep with the lights on.